This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. In today's discussion, we tackle how one can take care of their mental well-being during this difficult time of the COVID-19 pandemic. To help us unpack this discussion today, we're joined by Hunadi Maleka, who is a clinical psychologist with special interest in African relational thought, psychopolitics, and childhood psychology with the Gauteng Department of Health. Hunadi, thank you so much for honoring our invitation and welcome to the COVID Report. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. To just kick us off into the discussion today, could you maybe tell us the effects that you are seeing of this COVID-19 pandemic, especially on mental health? I think like you say, Karabo, it's quite a very, you know, it's unprecedented times that we are in and we are seeing, you know, things that are going on that we've never actually experienced before. So, I mean, right now, what we are seeing is the after effects or even in progress effects of COVID-19. You know, there's quite a lot of impact on people's psychological functioning and overall mental health. And now with the overall effects, Nadia, as many people are struggling to maintain the mental well-being during these difficult times of COVID-19, are there any tips one can use to take care of their mental well-being? And how do we stay sane in what you've said to be unprecedented times? I think most certainly, I think psychologically, our main aim is always, you know, to ensure that people survive and people cope and people are able to live lives to their fullest and to their best of abilities. So in terms of coping, there's quite a wide range of things that people can do in order to survive or to at least, you know, stay sane during this period in time. And I'll just like to take it back to how we are right now, particularly as millennials and just how much information we take in. We are flooded by too much information. And unfortunately, because there isn't adequate time to process all of this information, you know, the RIPs, hashtag RIPs that you guys are mentioning, and some of the things that we see on social media that can be quite devastating for one. So one tip that I'd like to give um, to the listeners out there is that if we are able to, can we please limit as much as we can our exposure to social media? And in line with that last point you've just made, how do people actually limit the amount of information they take in from the socials? I think um, the important thing, you know, with everything else, I guess, with life isn't being intentional. I mean, if you are going to spend your entire day on social media and you're already in a position where you are already distressed or you are suffering from trauma or loss or grief already from the COVID-19 pandemic, it's not going to particularly be beneficial for you. On the other part, of course, there's something that we argue that, you know, there's a collective grieving or collective mourning that's going on for us as a nation. Hence, people are using this uh, media outlets to sort of, you know, find space to breathe, to say the least. However, unfortunately, sometimes we can't filter what it is that we see or filter people that respond to us. So the best way that a person can be able to assist themselves, you know, to limit their social media use is just be intentional about it. If you're saying that you're going to be online, say, for instance, for 30 minutes, time that. Also be knowledgeable about who you follow, who follows you. So also controlling that sort of space may actually um, assist you. Now, Asunari, those are some very helpful tips in relation to social media. But as we know, the world has shifted to online with people working from home more and more. 
But the stress of work has not changed. Some may argue that it has increased. How can one proactively manage their stress threshold from work at home? I should say that's quite a lovely question, particularly because, you know, stress is part of everyday life. We cannot live without stress. Um, Stress is is a constant, whether it is situational and it comes from personal situations and things such as that. So stress is something that will constantly be there. And I think as soon as we also as well normalize that and sort of extend grace to ourselves, that some situations will definitely induced stress, but it's also temporary simply because of that situation, right? And um, some sort of events and some sort of things, triggering situations would also um, induce stress. So if we normalize it and we are aware of it, that's one start. But in terms of workplace stress, particularly, you know, the stress that's put on people who work from home and unfortunately spend quite a lot of their times, you know, sitting and the likes. What I would like to say is that it's, it's, it's also important to sort of, you know, manage your time. So the typical things, you know, back to basics, managing your time, being able to schedule what you're doing at what time and how you're going to get through tasks. So in terms of your day, knowing that at this time I should wake up and trying by all means to actually stick to that schedule because that helps you in the long run because then there'll be time for you to play and then there'll be time for you to actually work. And that helps in terms of mitigating the stress because the time for play slash time for rest would be able to help you, you know, give you a breather and for you to be able to sort of diversify what you're doing throughout the day. So scheduling, scheduling, scheduling and sticking to the schedule really, really goes a long way in managing workplace stress. And Hunadi, on that note about managing stress, how would you say one could prevent the prolonged psychological consequences such as post-traumatic stress disorder and depression? I mean, in your previous answer, you you talked about how we could limit our social interactions and actually pay careful attention to the information that we digest. However, for people who may not necessarily align with those same restrictions, how would you say they would actually prevent prolonged psychological consequences. As we know that taking in all this information, all the RIPs on the timeline, hearing of one death or the other, it may have long-term effects. You know what? I think we just need to acknowledge how difficult you know, this, um, this time is for all of us. And unfortunately, there would be exposure, whether one intends on it or not, on some of these, you know, traumatic events that are going on due to COVID-19. But I think that, you know, in terms of trying to assist yourself so that it doesn't necessarily become, you know, a pathology or an illness or turn into something else that, you know, affects your everyday functioning. It's for you to sort of try by all means to stay aware, you know, be mindful of how you are on an everyday basis. Be mindful of how you are feeling. Where are you in your feelings? Where are you um, in terms of, you know, the things that you want to achieve? Are you feeling overwhelmed as well? So, you know, daily check-ins assist us in terms of filtering some of these things that might affect us due to going unchecked. So that'll be one of my suggestions that people can do out there, particularly, you know, like you're saying that 
some people, unfortunately, they cannot stay off social media perhaps because of the work that they do. But, you know, what we call daily debriefs, usually in psychology, are quite um, helpful. And these daily debriefs can be done with typically anyone, you know, checking in not only with yourself through journaling or meditation, but also checking in with other people like, you know, calling up a friend and just discussing your day. So those sort of things help quite a lot in filtering our emotions, you know, being aware of this is how I'm feeling and this is how the situation is making me feel. This is what I can potentially do to assist myself and also just keeping ourselves in check, you know, knowing when you are not well and when to possibly seek professional help. Knowing when you are not well. Now, a variety of things have come up during this pandemic. And one in particular is moral injury from the COVID-19 crisis. Now, it is defined as a psychological and spiritual burden caused by an act that goes against one's own or shared morals and values. Are we seeing a lot of this because of the pandemic? And in particular, how does one cope with moral injury? I think, you know, moral injury is quite an interesting concept because it also then goes, you know, falls back into the guilt that also comes from, you know, surviving COVID-19. When you find yourself in a situation where perhaps you got COVID-19 with a group of people and unfortunately others have demised and you have survived, you know, that's quite hurtful to yourself as a person, you know, psychologically and spiritually and morally, as as you are saying. I mean, it's quite a difficult one because, you know, we are quite varied and quite multifaceted um, human beings. What might be an easy thing for, for me to sort of work through and process, you know, due to an injury or trauma in this case, the trauma of COVID-19 might not be the same for other people. So I honestly think that in terms of, you know, noting the moral injury, hurt is hurt, you know, an injury is an injury and an injury needs to be attended to. If one is unable to attend to that injury by themselves, one should seek help. We're speaking about moral injury and how to actually manage it. But for mm-hmm. someone who may not be aware that this is what they're experiencing, in your expert opinion, what are some of the symptoms of moral injury? So usually when you feel tired most of the time, you know, a sense of numbness to everything, you know, a sense of feeling quite complacent. If you are a spiritual person, losing hope in, you know, your spirituality. So those are some of the symptoms. So it's usually linked to your spiritual sphere, if we can call it that, your spiritual sphere being affected or injured. And yes, those are some of the symptoms that one can see that perhaps they've actually encountered some sort of blow. Now, we've spoken about the RIPs and the grief that has come with COVID-19 and consumed many people's lives. What can one do after they have experienced a loss and grief during the COVID-19 crisis so that their mental health doesn't take a massive Knock, and this is someone that's something that has been experienced in every household during the pandemic. So, um, there was an interesting thing that I saw, you know, on the socials the other time where people were speaking quite a lot about how we are collectively mourning as a country, you know. We are mourning people, some that we did know that are our loved ones and some that we did not know, that we just know through social media. And there's power in collective mourning, right? Because what that basically means is that we have suffered something, we have suffered a specific loss 
that sort of triggers something in us that has touched all of us in a particular way. And that, you know, the collective mourning also speaks to a level of social cohesiveness. So we are also able to sort of reach out to each other and tap into each other's, you know, social resources that, you know, where I lack, you are able to supplement. And that usually comes through talking. If we talk and talk and talk some more and also try, you know, for people who are not necessarily all up for, you know, verbal talk or what we are doing now, people can be expressive in other ways. So forms of art, such as, you know, poetic writing and things such as that. So if we can just sort of communicate with each other, I think collectively, collectively that's powerful and it really assists us in terms of processing all of these traumas that are recurrent on an everyday basis. And Hunadi, you mentioned something about borrowing from another person and Mm. talking and ventilating your feelings. However, some people may have reservations about talking about their mental health issues because of a lot of stigma that still surrounds those Mm. same issues. So how do we deal with things like that in society? How do we get to actually place mental health issues at the forefront of societal discourse without running the risk of being judged? Sorry, I think, you know, with with the stigma of of talking and the stigma of being vulnerable and and sharing your struggles, you know, on the bigger sort of schema of things, it's more of a structural issue in terms of, you know, this, this idea or norm where we have sort of put value over actual visible injury of human beings over, you know, mental health injuries, which might not necessarily be visible. You know, this is part of the bigger structure. And um, as much as we are sort of, we can try in, in, our, in our specific corners and our, in our specific capacities to sort of fight that structure, that sort of oppressive structure that perpetuates stigma, it's very important for us to try within our small corners to sort of normalize talking. If you and I are able to be vulnerable with each other, in that vulnerability, I'm also able to go and be vulnerable with somebody else without infringing on your own privacy. So I'm able to understand and respect that what I spoke to, for instance, Karabo about yesterday, which was, you know, from sort of the depths of my soul, and I've never told this to anyone, I'm able to do it with somebody else. I'm able to hold space for somebody else, you know? So this is something that's also intertwined with, you know, empathy and being able to understand that as much as I'm able to hold space for somebody else, as much as I'm able to hold somebody else, you know, private information, they are also able to hold it for me, right? So that also takes away, um, that level of vulnerability also takes away from, will I be judged, right? Because then we go on exchanging it. Imagine I speak to Garabo, right, about what I'm going through. And then this evokes something in Garabo, and Garabo is actually able to see, oh, okay, so if Hunad is able to hold such space for me and treat it with such respect and such empathy, therefore I'm able to do this for somebody else. So the next time when somebody speaks to you as well, you are able to also, you know, dig deep and be able to sort of reproduce that session or that talk that you you had with me and you're able to do it for somebody else and hold it for somebody else. So I think it just becomes like that, just becomes an effect like that. 
So holding space for each other so the next person can hold space for the other. Exactly. Now, there comes a time where we hope the pandemic will be over and we will no longer live in times of sanitization and online. But until then, we are seeing a wild number of pandemic fatigue and mental health burnout. Is there anything else that can be done to stop pandemic fatigue and help people not get tired of this pandemic? I honestly think that, you know, we are all in a state of pandemic fatigue. It is too much. It's really to just end, you know, if if it could. But um, unfortunately, in the meantime, we sort of have to sort of stick it out. And in terms of us trying to stick it out, it's just that, you know, what I've just done right now, the acknowledgement of this is not nice and I would really just like this thing to stop, right? So there I'm able to sort of be in touch with how I feel and how this whole situation is making me feel. And um, for me not to sort of drop the ball and then start putting myself in danger by all arguing that, you know, I'm just fatigued, you know, therefore I'm not going to wear my mask, I'm not going to observe um, social distancing, you know, then it, it it's most likely not going to happen because then I would be aware that as much as this um, pandemic is making me feel this particular way, for me, for all of us to be able to get to the other side, we still need to observe, you know, we need to stick it out. We need to observe some of these, you know, um, non-pharmaceutical methods for us to be safe. So acknowledge your feelings, you know, um, acknowledge how all of this thing is making you feel so that you are able to to, to find some level of strength within you to, to keep on and stick it out. And what would you say are some of the long-standing, or rather, what will be some of the long-standing ramifications on mental health for for those living in this pandemic? We've experienced so much loss as a collective. People have lost their loved ones. People have lost their jobs. So what would you say, apart from the mental health um, aspect of things, what are some of the long-standing ramifications I think, you know, the impact, the long-term impact of COVID-19 is quite dire. It is also quite very disheartening because on multiple levels, you know, there's just so much loss, you know, like you're saying, besides unemployment, which as well, if we really unpack it, then it spirals out to everything, you know, um, it spirals out to a lot of problems that people then encounter just by the virtue of being unemployed. You know, you can imagine mothers without without jobs to take their children to school, to give their children basic needs. You know, um, COVID has just taken away so much from us that, you know, some of the ramifications like you are asking are just also unimaginable to say the least, because we can only hope that um, we will get to the other side. But I am as well still sitting on the other side as a psychologist. I'm wondering what will be on the other side because we are suffering so much loss from multiple levels. You know, children are unable to, to engage in normal play. Adults unable to go about, you know, doing what they what they normally used to do. People have lost jobs. Um, students unable to continue sometimes with their studies due to losing both parents. Or so there's grief. There's mourning. There's there's adverse, you know, psychological impacts. So really, we can go on and on and on about all of these ramifications of COVID nineteen because there's just so much. 
there is just so much. And this is palpable in our everyday lives. So the question following that then becomes, in your expert opinion, do you believe that we will ever recover from the muchness that is this pandemic? You know what? In all honesty, I can only hope that we recover. I can only hope that similarly, the very same way that we as a nation were sort of able, as much as we have not recovered, but we are in the process of recovering from, you know, the AIDS pandemic as well, that perhaps maybe we do stand a chance that we will be able collectively, you know, as many people get vaccinated, as we try to get herd immunity and stop transmissions, that eventually the deaths will subside and people will live and will live to actually see a day where COVID-19 isn't a threat to our daily lives anymore. So we are hopeful. And we are hopeful. Really, there's nothing else we can be. That is Hunadi Maleka sharing with us some of the impacts of COVID-19 on our mental health. Hunadi is a clinical psychologist. And thank you so much, Hunadi, for joining us here on the COVID Report. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. 88.1. Or streams via www.varfm.co.za.